Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, um, scriptures like this that we're going to be gathering around today deal with the tenderest places of the soul. With love, relationship, longing, marriage, sex. This is very fraught territory. And it's fraught because as a pastor, one of my first charges is to do no harm. And there is potential in these places for damage. Connected to what I say or even what I don't say, there's a lot of pain in our room. There's lots of anger. There's lots of desire. And I'm acutely aware, seems more and more the older I get, of how much I don't know. And yet, my task is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And best I know, I think this scripture today offers us some good news. But first, it will probably disrupt us. I think most every bit of good news I discover these days requires disruption first. In the seventh and eighth words, commandments that we hear today, we hear, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not steal. I think that first of all, we need to be disrupted by this, these words to hear the truth that our spirituality has a lot to do with our bodies. Our bodies are not some appendage to the real us. Our bodies are not our personal possession to use however suits our fancy. God created you and crafted you and breathed you into existence. You, each one of you, are a wonder. All of you. And every piece of you. Your body is, in fact, in one of the most scandalous scriptures in the Bible, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I was young, that terrified me. Maybe because of how it was said. <laughs> now, it makes my draw drop in wonder. God indwells you. God makes you the home of divine love. Isn't that marvelous? You, your body, your body. Isn't that sobering? As Christians, we could never say that our body is just our body. That our body and what we do with it is just our choice. We are God's. Whatever we do with our body, we are doing with the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way in Corinthians. 
Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So there is a problem the church has struggled with uh, for basically since our beginning. It's called Gnosticism. There's a, a lot about Gnosticism, and I'm going to give you a massively simplified uh, piece of it, is that one of the things about Gnosticism is it can tell us that our bodies really don't matter that much, that it's really just about some internal or ethereal thing. That's what faith is. So in a lot of the churches I spent time in when I was growing up, the way this would play out is that our faith has very little to do with creation, with politics, with economies, with longings. Faith is really only about some internal, etern- internal faith and about our eternal destiny. It had very little to do with the here and the now. That's wrong. <laughs> the announcement of Jesus is the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. It's equally a mistake for us to say that our life in God has little to do with our bodies, but only an internal spirituality. That's just another cheap version of Gnosticism. We've played that story out before. It doesn't lead anywhere good. The ways the scripture talks about our bodies and how we live bodily with one another only makes sense in the context where we've already heard, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What we do with our bodies is not first a matter of personal choice or desires. It's about worship. Who is our God? Do we believe that God is our deep wisdom for a life of joy? Our bodies are the primary ground where we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Our bodies are where we actually worship God. This is what Paul says. I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you hear Paul say, your body is the spiritual act of worship? Spiritual is not in opposition to body. It is the very place where our spirituality happens. This is why we would say that our bodies are not just ours. Our bodies are God's because Paul says he's bought us with a price. One Jewish rabbi put it this way, Any God who won't tell you what to do with your pots and pans and genitals isn't worth worshiping. Disruption number two. Marriage and sexuality are not primarily what we're doing in the world, but what God is doing in the world. This is true of all of our lives, of every vocation, and it's certainly true here. Whenever I stand before couples 
in a marriage ceremony, I almost always say something like this. I know that you sent out all the invitations and they have your names on them. And I know that we all say things like, this is your day, but it's really not. I mean, it is, but it's someone else's day first. It's God's day. The first one who is acting in this marriage is your creator, not you. You're responding. This commandment draws us into a long story of Scripture. It is not just an isolated rule sort of hanging out here because God really doesn't like anybody to have any fun. It's part of a long narrative of Scripture where God formed Adam and Eve as one flesh in the garden, part of the whole story of God making all humans in God's image It's a picture of the divine community of the Trinity, and it points toward how God would create an entirely new community, a new family called the church, where all people find belonging, friendship, love, and companionship. Then the story continues, and we see over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament, and then moving into the New Testament, how idolatry which is unfaithfulness to God, is compared in God's language to adultery. How God intends in human marriages to recreate his faithfulness to us. Marriage and faithfulness in marriage is not about only remaining faithful to another person. It is an act of service to the entire church and to the world. In Ephesians, Paul puts it this way, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. And that word there, mystery, in Latin, is the word from which we get sacrament. This is the foundational text from which we begin to understand what sacraments are. In other words, a marriage and the faithfulness that God makes happen in it is a visible place where God's presence, grace, and mercy is visibly appearing in the world. And as with all the commandments, Jesus goes deeper. He probes to the heart of things. And Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, do not not commit adultery, but I tell you, and I have here that anyone who looks, but it's, it says a man. I tell you that any man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus goes to the heart of things. I do think it's important, because I'm a man, to say at this moment, and I know this can be true of women too, in, in many ways, but... Depending on the world you grew up in, if you're a woman, you may have heard something that basically said a man's lust is probably partly, if not mainly, your fault. First of all, if you're a woman and you heard that message, that is from the pit of hell. (laughs) It's not your fault. Men... When we struggle with our lust, we don't get to blame anyone else. It is a struggle with our heart. And we take that to Jesus, who can heal us. 
It's why the church, this whole way that Jesus deepens and expands and probes into this question of lust, it's why the church for nearly two millennia has understood the full expression of sexual union to happen in the context that God dreamed up, a sacramental covenant of marriage. Because it's in that place God is able to make visible God's own fidelity, God's own presence. It's a place to make grace and fidelity visible. Because lust is taking for my own desire and purpose what is not mine to take. It's why thou shalt not commit adultery can only grow out of hearing thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it can only be sustained by hearing, thou shalt not steal. Now, stealing and adultery, these two commandments, I think they are linked for us in our moment in ways that older generations, much older, could never have envisioned. Run amok capitalism has so idolized the individual and personal desires that now stealing can be called savvy business. And these same forces have commodified our bodies and trained us to commodify one another so that our personal desires are now the highest goal. Our desires, and some of them can be our shallowest versions of them, become our idol. Capitalism, if it's left to itself and not chastened in some profound ways by the gospel of Jesus Christ, tells us that our desires, our bodies, our marriages are mainly just about what we're doing in the world. With just a little bit of God sprinkled on to give us that spiritual dimension. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, protects us against the selfish commodification of the bounty of God's creation the ways that we disintegrate to greedily grabbling what we think we must have for personal fulfillment. And the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, or as Jesus might put it, thou shalt not lust, protects us against the selfish commodification of our bodies, degrading ourselves by greedily grabbing what we believe we must have for personal fulfillment. John Calvin taught that we humans are prone to deceit and that this happens especially in sexual matters because it's so close. As Paul Ramsey said, I love you too often means I love me and I want to use you. A Christian vision of bodies and humanity tells us that sex is actually never just sex. It isn't. We make promises with our bodies, not just our words. Our bodies, as Paul says, are our spiritual act of worship. The scriptures tell us that our souls are joined when our bodies are joined. And marriage is one way, only one way, but it is one way that God helps us to enact in our bodies fidelity to God and fidelity to one another. Now, I know, I'm, I know that everything I'm saying can sound absolutely ludicrous. 
I get it. And I also understand that nobody has to agree with me. I was going to say, opening up, like, you're free to disagree with me. And then I realized, y'all all have that covered. <laughs> Not a problem, okay? I am so aware that what I'm saying sounds, according to the story of the systems of power of this world, it sounds absolutely ludicrous. And I also know that the church has done a lot with this that inhabits shame and judgment, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a vision of good humanity in which all of us fail, and there's mercy because God's mercy endures forever. But I thought this week, I'm going to, uh, and it had nothing to do with this sermon, really, but I, th I thought about, I don't have much time left with my sons. We're, we're going this week for a couple days on a college trip of all freaking things. <laughs> and I thought, I, I'm going to make a list, and it's not going to be long, but I'm going to make a short list. And this is going to be between me and my sons, so don't ask me for it. It's for me and my boys. And I'm going to make a list of things I believe are true and things that I think every force in the world is going to be aligned against telling them it's not true. And I'm going to have a conversation with them about each of these few things. And one of them is going to be about our bodies. Because in a world, and I'm sure that these phrases even are probably so old, I'm dating myself, so put in the right ones. But hooking up, hitting, scoring, friends with benefits, testing out our compatibility with no real commitment, this is not the gospel redeemed in the world view of what it means to use our bodies for the good of another. One theologian put it this way, marriage, its promises, and the manner of life it entails are the God-given means to avoid the self-deceit and violence that seems inherent to sex without a promise. All of this makes absolutely no sense, and I'll be the first to say I'm a fool unless Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and completely remakes what it means to be human. So in our bodies with one another, God is up to something in the world. Nothing that I'm saying will make sense if we don't believe that in our bodies God is up to something in the world. And marriage is doing something far more than fulfilling my personal desires. I, this is another problem that I think some of us were taught growing up. Marriage does not solve all your problems. Can I get a witness from anyone who is married here? It does not solve all your problems. It is not the great nirvana. Sex, when you're married, is not, does not always go well. Marriage creates some problems. The Christian gospel is not that we find a place where all of our problems go away. The Christian gospel is that we are constantly being reformed in ways to die on a cross and lay down our life for someone else. That's what marriage is. Recently, we were talking with some friends, and they asked, um, we were having dinner, and they asked, so... It was a great conversation, but the, the, a question that emerged was, what would be your favorite food, food job, like job related around food? And Miska was so fast. She said, I would love to be in a convent and make honey. 
my wife's dream job <laughs> is to be in a convent. I don't know if you know a whole lot about convents, but that excludes me. There is an idea that marriage is the way I go and find my happiness. And the church has sometimes sold it, and it's a lie. Marriage is the way we die for the sake of another. Stanley Hauerwas says, uh, well, there's this idea that you find that one magical person who's the pixie dust of your life, right? Stanley Harawa says, you always marry the wrong person. I love in premarital counseling to sit down with a couple and say, you know, you are marrying the wrong person. <laughs> All of us, every single one of us, are called to a shared fidelity to God and to one another with our bodies. All of us are called, at least for a time, to singleness, and then some of us are called to marriage. And all of us, all of us, together within this new family of God, are called to serve one another in the world, to help one another be faithful with our bodies to God. Because my little family and my little relationship is not the end of the story of God the kingdom of God breaking into the world for the good of the world, that is the story of God. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.